Hey, great to see all of you here. I do want to welcome our online audience. It is great to have you as well. As we wrap up this series, we've been in for a number of weeks called Finding Your Way Back to God. If you've been tracking with us this whole series, you know this series has been anchored in this series of three parables that Jesus told in the book of Luke chapter 15, really looking at the last of the parables, which is now a story that we call the, the, the parable of the prodigal son. It's been a really, really fun experience, and as we walk through the parable, we recognize that there are these awakenings we experience that not only happen in Jesus' story, there are awakenings that happen in our lives as well. And so week one, we talk about this awakening to the longing. And it was actually the longing that took the prodigal son away from his father's home, chasing out something different in life. It led to the second awakening, was the awakening to regret that sometimes we find ourselves in a place that we never intended to be. We don't even know how we got there in the first place, and there's regret that fills our heart. Week three, we looked at this awakening to help, that sometimes we find ourselves at this rock-bottom moment. We don't know where to turn. We recognize we need help outside of ourselves to get going the direction we desire to go. Uh, last week, we looked at awakening to love, this, this embrace of the Father. How many were here last week where we kind of experienced uh, the journey of the prodigal son? Pretty fun? We had a creative retelling of the story. Some people asked me afterwards, like, who was that guy who did that creative rendition of the prodigal son? Uh, that was our Willow Espanol pastor, Pastor Fabian. He's an incredible, like, gifted actor. We're just really grateful for him doing what he did. Which leads us to this weekend, where we're going to talk about what it looks like to awaken to life. Now, when I talk about awakening to life, it actually lands on the last statement of the story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15. This powerful story, the prodigal son, ends with, with this statement. Uh, it's the father talking. He says, but we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours, he was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. And so this whole party breaks out because this celebration of this lost person being found, this kind of spiritually dead person becoming alive again, there was so much to celebrate. There's so much to celebrate with this kind of life. Now, what's fascinating about the, the parable that Jesus told in the book of Luke chapter 15 is that's the end of the story. It ends at the party. It ends at the celebration. But I would argue where Jesus' story ends is where our actual journey begins. In a sense, this moment of celebration where the lost becomes found, where the dead person becomes alive again, the, the fancy pants theological word around that, that's the moment of salvation. That's the moment when somebody turns from their own way, doing life their own thing, they come back to God, they enter into a relationship with God. There's a celebration that ensues. That's a moment of of salvation, that we're saved from ourselves, we're saved from our sin, we're saved to eternal life. It's this powerful moment of salvation, but salvation is not the finish line. I would say salvation is the starting grid. That's really where our life with God fully begins. And so Jesus doesn't unpack what life after that moment looks like, at least in this parable, but other places in the Bible, he, he gives us an indication of what a life with God can and should look like. Book of John, chapter 10, verse 10, one of my favorite passages in scripture, it starts in this way, it says, the thief, meaning our spiritual enemy, he comes to steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus says this, he says, but I have come so that you would have life and you would have it to the full. Who wants a little bit of that? Like, like have life, and not just any life, like have life to the full. And it's almost like Jesus was drawing the distinction, you can have one or the other. You can just go through life, or you can have a little life go through you. 
And I think that there's actually something to that. Now, what's fascinating is in the New Testament, the New Testament was originally written in ancient Greek. Uh, that was the language it was, it was originally written in. And there's actually two different words for life in the Greek language that are both translated as life when they come over to the English language. And they have a little bit different connotation of what they mean. The first is the Greek word bios. Say bios. Bios. You can almost hear the life uh, in that term. That's where we get the English word biology. It's where we would get like biological, like it comes from this word bio. It literally means it's all the things that allow us to experience what it means to live. And so it's our lungs expanding. It's our heart beating. It's our fingers moving. It's the going through life types of things. Now, I I learned this week that the average American uh, spends a lot of time doing certain things in life. Uh, Average American uh, lives to the age of like 80 some odd years old. And in those 80 some odd years, you'll spend 28 of those years sleeping. Interesting. Uh, In those uh, 80 some odd years, you'll spend about 16 years uh, with some sort of work-related activity. Uh, you'll spend about four of those years eating, which is amazing. I kind of enjoy those four years. Those are great. Uh, not to gross you out, you spend a little over a year going to the bathroom when you add it all up in your entire lifetime. But the one that really bothered me, just so you know, is you spend about five years of your life waiting in a line or waiting in traffic. We gotta do something about that. Right, that's just the the going through life kind of part. That's the bios kind of life. There's another word that's used oftentimes in the New Testament, also translated life, is the word zoe. Somebody say zoe. Zoe is not the quantitative part of life, it's the qualitative part of life. Zoe is, 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 is when you really experience meaning in your life. You, you experience goodness in your life. You experience uh, energy, fulfillment, purpose, that type of stuff. It's like the life that's truly life. Now, does anybody want to guess which one of those words are used in the book of John, chapter 10, verse 10, when Jesus says, I've come so not only do you have life, but you have it to the full. That full kind of life is which one? That's the Zoe kind of life. It's what Jesus is saying, sure, I gave you life. In a sense, I made it to where your lungs could expand, your heart could breathe, you could go to work every day, and you can spend an endless amount of time uh, waiting in traffic. I created that kind of life. But I created so much more than that. I don't want you to just be somebody who goes through life. I want life to go through you. And so that's why I would say salvation is not the finish line, it's actually the starting grid that we have the opportunity to launch into something so much more for what God has for us. Now, what does it look like to experience this kind of life? I mean, if I were to ask, like, what moment in your life were you most alive, you might say all kinds of things. You may say, man, I rode this exhilarating roller coaster. (laughs) I felt fully alive. Or I went skydiving, and I don't know why anybody would jump out of a perfectly good airplane, that kind of thing. Uh, I live by the motto, uh, if at first you don't succeed, try again. And I can't do that with skydiving. And so I'm not gonna ever do that. Some of you are just getting that. Okay, uh, but, 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 but like other moments in life that we feel fully alive, like the moment we propose and she says yes, or the moment you hear that doctor in the hospital room say, it's a boy. We have these moments in life that we feel pretty alive. Uh, Maybe one that we can all resonate with, November the 2nd, 2016, the year that the Chicago Cubs finally won the World Series. I don't know that I was ever more alive than that moment, right? That was a a moment we were were all alive. 
Now, what's interesting is I can joke about all these moments that sometimes we would articulate as, as the moments that we're alive, but if you really pour over the pages of Scripture, there are other things that I think that God wants us to know about what it really looks like to live the Zoe kind of life, to really be people who are fully alive, to not just be people who go through life, but truly have life going through us. Now, there's a lot of things that we can point to in Scripture around that. I'm gonna boil everything down to two experiences. There are certainly other things that contribute to Zoe life. I'm gonna boil it down for the sake of, of two experiences. Maybe it's Labor Day weekend. We're gonna do a two-point message. It's a little bit easier to remember. You good with that? All right, so here we go. Here's the first experience that I want you to lean into for this Zoe type of life is to discover that we are better together. We discover we're better together. Now, I mentioned earlier that the story of the prodigal son is actually in a series of three different parables that Jesus told about lost things. There's a shepherd who lost a sheep. There's a woman who lost a coin. There's a, there's a father who lost a son. What's fascinating is that all three parables end in the same way. Uh, let me just give you the endings real quick. Luke 15, verse six is the shepherd. He says, he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. The woman says, three verses later, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. You get to the prodigal son story. This is the father speaking. He says, bring in the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. It's fascinating that these three parables end with the same type of idea. There's two things that it highlights. One is this massive celebration with the lost things found. But the other thing that gets highlighted is the nature of coming together with one another. I mean, the, the shepherd literally says, get your friends and neighbors and come together to celebrate. The woman literally says, get your friends and neighbors, come together to celebrate. The language shifts a little bit when it comes to the father, but he says, kill the fattened calf. Now, that doesn't translate very well in our modern day culture because I don't think you and I have a fattened calf in our backyard. Uh, if you do, invite me over for lunch. I'd be happy to participate with that, right? So it doesn't translate quite as much for us, but really what that would be is that's the, the prize animal. It's the one that you would save for just the right moment. Killing the fattened calf would say, it would, it would initiate the celebration of celebrations. It would bring in literally the entire town to celebrate together. And so there's this togetherness as much as there's this celebration. And the togetherness is not to just celebrate what happened in the moment, but to create the community by which the lost person gets to plug into. Because if you wanna be somebody who doesn't just go through life, but you have life going through you, one of the most fundamental experiences that has to become a part of your journey is a more connected relationship with others. I read an article years ago about the country of Switzerland and what they did uh, 100 years ago right after the First World War. Uh, they decided they were gonna set aside what they called essential items for the sake of survival for the citizens of their country uh, to prepare for if any kind of worldwide calamity happened again, you know, whether that was a second world war, which obviously eventually came, or, or whether uh, they got hit by a famine, or whether we got into a global pandemic. They actually put together this this huge reserve in order to uh, put, put aside the things that they deemed essential for survival for their citizens. One of the things that they put aside as essential to the survival of their citizens was coffee. 
How many of you agree that's essential to survival? Okay, lots of you. Like, it's essential for a lot of people, right? Like, I can't function in the morning without a little cup of coffee. I'm dangerous to drive to work without a little cup of coffee. Uh, I'm cranky all day without a little cup of coffee, right? And so some of us would see coffee as essential to survival. Now, I'm not much of a coffee drinker. If you know me well, I drink my weight in Dr. Pepper every day. I love Dr. Pepper. I'm convinced it's the sweet nectar of Jesus. But I resonate with those of you uh, who really find coffee essential. What you believe about coffee is what I believe about Dr. Pepper, right? Now, here's what's fascinating. For uh, almost 100 years, the country of Switzerland put aside these essential reserves, uh, back in 2021, they decided that coffee was no longer essential. And they decided to dispose of 15,300, catch this, tons of coffee. Dispose of it because it's no longer essential. Now, some of you, you won't be able to listen to the rest of this message because that's just like the, the most catastrophic thing that you could imagine, Right? But it's fascinating, something that some people hold so dear is something that's discarded as what other people would describe as unessential. If we're not careful, we can do the same thing when it comes to community and interconnecting our lives to each other. I would go as far to say it's absolutely essential, essential to our well-being, essential to our health, who we become that I would even go as far to say, you can't become the person that God's ultimately created you to be. You can't have this life that is fully life without having deep, meaningful, connected relationships. And not only is that a principle taught biblically, I actually think the science backs it up as well. Uh, there was a study done years ago, and it was done over the course of years by this research institute in the state of California. They followed around 7,000 people, and the one thing that they were looking for is what is the impact of deep, meaningful, connected relationships in people's lives. What they discovered in the study that took decades to follow all these people, what they discovered was, was simply this, that those who, uh, uh, those who had these deep, meaningful, connected relationships were three times likely to live longer than those who didn't. They even took it a step further. They said it's more important than the physical habits that we really lean on to when it comes to our, our health and the benefits of health. They said somebody who was deeply relationally connected but was physically unhealthy, meaning they, they, they smoked, they ate the wrong things, they never exercised, that particular group of people outlived those who, were, uh, who, who, who had all the right health habits. Uh, they ate all the right things, they exercised in all the right ways, but they didn't have the relationships. And so what's fascinating is a connected, unhealthy person actually outlived the person who was disconnected and healthy. So my number one takeaway from that study was this. It is better to eat a box of donuts with friends than a bowl of broccoli by yourself. <laughs> right? But it's fascinating that it points us to like deep, deep connection. And I would argue, if you pour over the pages of the New Testament of the Bible, you can't get away from this idea of community and deep relationships. Uh, there, there are some uh, 59 commands in the New Testament written to the early church, the early church community, that have the phrase one another attached to it. The early church was, was commanded to, to love one another and to serve one another and to give to one another to, to hold one another up, to carry one another's burdens on and on 59 times. They're commanded these things 
of one another because it was unthinkable to even attempt to live life alone, to try to walk out my faith on my own. It would have been an unthinkable reality in the early church. And however, in today's terms, we tend to think that we can do it on our own. But you and I know fundamentally that's not true. I don't know how many of you were able to attend the Global Leadership Summit that happened here maybe a month or or, or two ago. One of the speakers was this woman by the name of Liz Bohannon. She actually talked about the impact that loneliness is having in our culture today. Uh, She talked about it as what she described as an epidemic. She said that 56% of Americans will admit to some form of loneliness. That number goes up for leaders who experience it at the rate of 70%. As she began to unpack it, she also compared Americans to other cultures, and uniquely, America is a far more lonely place to live than just about any other place in the world. She even took it a step further, and she said, we are getting the perfect results based on the type of culture that we're building as a society. Uh, because now we have larger pieces of properties, we have fences around our yards, there's all kinds of things that, that actually keep us from interacting with one another at the level of depth that we used to. Now, none of those things in of themselves are bad, but it's the culmination of those that say, if we don't do anything different, if we're not intentional, if we don't do something about it, we will be the product of what our culture has created. But if you and I are willing to be proactive and take a step into community, it will altogether alter our lives in a meaningful way. If you want to not just go through life, but have life going through you, that is not possible without embracing deep, connected, meaningful relationships. It's why you got to the party to begin with. Salvation is not a starting grid. It's it's not a a finish line. It's, It's a starting grid of this life that we get to live with God and a life that we get to live in a connected way to others. Now, there's a lot of ways that people can experience meaningful, deep connection. One of the ways that we talk about around here is is within the context of groups. Uh, You heard Gretchen talk about it earlier. Next week, we're going to launch our student groups because relationships matter. I would go as far to say that the relationships, what God does in circles, many times is what better than what God does in rows. Because when we get life on life, we get our lives integrated with people, what God does in those seasons can be transformative. That was true for Tom. Here's Tom's story. My name is Tom Hanchman. I am a father of two beautiful daughters and a husband and a neighbor and a friend and a son and a brother and a follower of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Before my journey, back to Christ, I found myself always trying to be the high achiever. I was raised, though, to be very independent, to be strong, to take care of myself, um, to be in control at all times. And that built up over a long period of time um, and created a lot of anxiety in me. One day I went to my wife, Kim, and I said, I want to go to Willow Crystal Lake. I want to attend a Sunday service. And I remember sitting there with the worship music, enjoying that experience, but having 
some of the most visceral reactions to anything I've ever had in my life. I was overwhelmed. And I remember on my way out the door, one of our hospitality volunteers, Mike, he was wearing a silly pair of shorts and flip-flops and a T-shirt, and I thought, wow, you know, this is not what I'm used to in church, right? The come-as-you-are sort of uh, attitude. The turning point for me was our Monday night men's small group Bible study. There were maybe eight to 10 guys who had been meeting for 20 years, and they welcomed me with open arms. I'm still, I'm still broken. I feel a lot of that same pain and anxiety and worry, but those moments are fewer and further between. And when I feel those, I immediately go into prayer mode. I'm not there, I'm not perfect, I'm still broken, and it still hurts. The same things trigger me, I just react to them differently. And you could have this too. I love his last statement. He says, you can have this too. I mean, the, the turning point for Tom in his story was when his life got engaged with other people. It, it doesn't necessarily fix everything else that's going on, but there's just something else when we don't have to walk alone in whatever the journey is, that we get to walk together in that same journey. It changes everything. Uh, it, it reminds me of, of, of the redwood trees in California. How many of you have ever gone to California to see the, the, the tall redwoods? Fascinating, beautiful, majestic. I mean, these trees that some stand uh, as tall as like 300 feet in the air, some that have been uh, alive for, for literally over 100 years and even beyond that, right? These huge, huge trees. What's fascinating about them is their root system relative to their height is actually pretty shallow. Most of the root system doesn't go down lower than about six feet. Uh, there is no even taproot. So how in the world does this 300-foot tree stand how does it stand up to the earthquakes, to, to the wind and the rain, to the storms that roll through? The way it's able to is because the root systems are actually interconnected. They actually go out. They, they weave in between one another. They, it's not that they're trying to stand alone. They stand because they stand together. If you're gonna be somebody who doesn't just go through life, but you truly have life going through you, I would go as far to say, I don't think it's possible without deep, meaningful, connected relationships. Again, there's lots of ways you can experience that, but I'd love to invite you into one of the experiences that we create for you. Uh, we, we create all kinds of groups. We have literally hundreds and hundreds of groups around here to try to create some environments for us to experience everything we've been describing. Uh, we're about to kick those groups off. We'll kick them off in a couple weeks. And if you've not yet been through Rooted, I would encourage you, take that as your step. Don't pass go, don't collect $200. But if you do collect $200, that's amazing. Bring that to the Rooted group, okay? I would encourage you, jump into Rooted. It starts the week of September the 17th. Don't miss it. You can find out more information. Go to willowcreek.org slash willow. Uh, how about willowcreek.org slash rooted? Uh, that's how you, you find your way back to that particular group. Make some sense? It requires intentionality. Take the step. So that's the first experience that I wanted to share with you. Here's the second. 
Uh, learn, learn how to find your part in God's dream. Learn how to find your part in God's dream. Now, again, I'm, I mentioned that, that this prodigal son story that Jesus told is this, it's in a series of three. If we go back to the very first parable, this, the, the parable about the, 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 sheep losing, or the shepherd losing a sheep, here's what it says. It says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after that lost sheep until he finds it? Now, we may have heard this kind of idea. We even sing about it in song lyrics that, that he's willing to leave the 99 to go after the one. That sounds incredibly heartwarming, and in some senses, it is. Now, what's fascinating, when Jesus is telling this particular story, he's using a metaphor that would have been super familiar back in that day. It was an agrarian society. They, they knew about sheep and shepherd in the fields. They were just outside of town. Uh, I don't personally know a shepherd. If I were to ask for a raise of hand of who, who is a shepherd, we, it, it doesn't connect as much to our culture, but we understand what he's trying to say. If a shepherd has 100 sheep, they're actually pretty protected in numbers as long as they stay in the group. Again, it kind of goes back to that first principle. We're, we're better together. Sheep are even better together. They're less vulnerable. They're less susceptible to all kinds of things. But if one wanders away from the group, if one wanders off, that one becomes very vulnerable, very much at risk. They're susceptible to a predator. They, they could fall over and not be able to get up. They, if, they, if they fall into a creek, they could drown. They're, they're very, very vulnerable at-risk creatures if they're out there kind of by themselves. And what I love about this parable is it talks about the heart of God, that God's willing to leave the masses to go after the one. Now, now let's be clear. It's not a statement of value. He's not saying that the one matters more than the 99. It's a statement of priority. It's a statement of urgency. Because the reality is the 99 in of themselves, they're at less, less risk when they're together. And so the priority and the urgency always goes to the one who is most vulnerable, who has the greatest need, who is most susceptible. There's a, there, there's a heart pull there. And what I love about God is, 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 is scripture tells us over and over again that God is close to the brokenhearted, that God is pursuing the one who is lost, that God is in search of the one that needs to be found because there's so much to lose. There's so much risk related to the one. Now, there's a couple of really important principles that, that are pulled out about these lost things. Now, now the, the term lost can be, uh, have a little bit of negative connotation. None of us like to be called lost. Like before Siri told me everywhere I need to go, at times I would get lost and I would never admit it because I didn't want somebody to put that term on me. It's kind of a negative term that I don't, I don't like to embrace. I don't, you know, I don't like to be told that I'm lost. However, there's a couple of really important principles I would say about lost things and in particularly about lost people. Here's the first. In order for something to be lost, it has to have value. Here's what I mean by that. If I were to have a penny in my pocket and I couldn't find it, I don't know where it went, I probably would never call it lost because it doesn't have enough value to me. Likely, I would have even forgotten it was in my pocket. I wouldn't even notice. I wouldn't go searching for it. I don't really care. But if you were to give me $1,000 cash and if I were to put that in my pocket and all of a sudden I reached in and it's no longer there, it's game on, baby, right? because I'm gonna do whatever I possibly can to find that. 
because it's got so much value that I would see it as lost. What's interesting is I would drop everything else to try to figure out what did I do with it? Where, where, where did it go? And, and so we only call something lost if it has value. And the second piece I already shared with you is uh, the more value it has, the more intense the search becomes. Now, if you lay that principle back over this parable of leaving the 99 to go after the one, again, it's not that the 99 don't matter and the one does, it's just there's so much value that's attached to the one who is far from God, who's disconnected from faith, who's at risk, who's vulnerable. And it's an intensive search by which God continues to pursue that one. Now, as I mentioned, that's pretty heartwarming in some regards. But if we're candid, really practically, sometimes we can experience that principle as offensive in some way. Because if I see myself as a part of 99, and God's always pursuing the one, sometimes it kind of leaves me at the place where I'm like, hey, what about me? I mean, don't I get a little bit of the attention? This plays out practically all the time. Let me give you a couple of examples. One of the things that we've talked about around here recently is, is our desire and passion to grow young as a church. Now, when I say grow young as a church, if you're part of Gen X like me, or maybe you're part of a, the boomer generation like others of us around, it's very easy for us to go, well, that's great, but what about me? I mean, I've been a part of church for a long time. Like, what, what, what about me? What about what I need? And, and again, it's not an issue of value. It's not that young people matter more than older people. It's not an issue of value, but it's certainly a matter of priority and urgency because every stout out there says that young people are leaving the church and leaving faith in droves. And there's a growing percentage of young people who are becoming disconnected from faith and disconnected from church communities. And my friends, that creates a very vulnerable at-risk environment. The reality of it is, 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 is a young person trying to navigate relationships and try to navigate that season of life without any contest of community, without any uh, compass of faith in their lives, they are opening themselves up to the first part of John chapter 10, verse 10, where it says the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. There's so much at risk. And so it's not that the 99 don't matter. They absolutely matter. But if we don't relentlessly pursue what matters most and those who are at most risk, we're missing the heart of the Father. There could be another example. Uh, you know, somebody who's been around just church or faith for a long time. And so we would kind of say like, what are you gonna do to feed me? Like, what are you gonna do to meet my needs? Uh, you know, I, I need to be disciples as well. And that's absolutely true. And all of those things absolutely matter. At the same time, the person who does not yet know the Father, does not yet know Jesus, is not yet in a connected relationship with them, there's so much at risk there. And God forbid we ever be a church that only cares about the 99 and misses the heart of the Father that's pursuing the one. And so if you ever find yourself in a situation that you're a part of the 99 and you're like, hey, what about me? Can I say that we're asking the wrong question? The question's not, what about me? The question is, where's the shepherd going? And how do I join him in what he's doing? God's heart is moving. The question is, will we join him in what he's already doing? So when I talk about 
discovering your part in God's dream is that God gives us this amazing, amazing ability to partner with him in the greatest mission on planet Earth to help other people find their way back to him. But we'll only discover it if we recognize it isn't about me, it's about him and what he's doing. And I, too, need to be somebody at times that leaves the 99 in pursuit of what matters most to God. Think about it this way. Think about that prodigal son. He finally returns home. Father embraces him. There's this huge party that ensues. Now, again, Jesus doesn't tell us what his life is like from that point on, but here's here's what I would assume. That prodigal never sees a hungry person in the same way because he knows what it's like to be hungry. That prodigal never sees somebody at rock bottom in the same way because he knows what it's like to be at rock bottom. That prodigal never sees a broken relationship the same way because he knows what it's like for a relationship to be broken and fully restored again. And if that prodigal is not just gonna walk through life, but have life going through him. He's able to see his story, take his story, allow God to redeem his story, and then be compelled to use his story. I like to imagine that the prodigal serving those who have food scarcity. I like to assume that the prodigal is helping other people mend broken relationships. The beautiful thing about God, if you allow him to, he will never waste an ounce of your story. All the hard, all the pain, all the difficulty. God won't waste your story. God will empower your story to join him in his dream, in his work, as he continues to relentlessly pursue the one. You know, every time around here that we talk about volunteering and, 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 and sharing opportunities and ways to serve and to volunteer, here's what I want you to know. It isn't about us filling the need, whatever the need is. Here's what it's always about. It's always trying to tap into the God-given abilities that God has given you the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the passions, the story. It's about activating what God has done in you and putting it in motion toward his mission. Because if we can do that, if we can partner with you in doing that, there's something that will get unlocked in your journey. You won't just go through life. My friends, these are the moments that life goes through us. Get your life connected. Get your life living on purpose. It's the key to the Zoe type of life. Of not just going through life, but life going through you. I wanna challenge you in this way. I wanna challenge you to take a step today before you ever leave the church property. And we can take different types of steps. Maybe for some of us, Uh, We're gonna have our prayer teams up front like we do every single week. And if you wanna connect with a member of our prayer team, I would love to invite you to do so. Uh, Maybe you wanna take a step back to God. Maybe you wanna take a step in this direction. You need a little bit of discernment around it. We just, you just need somebody to pray for you. Our team would love to pray for you. For others, you're ready to take a step. 
You're like, all right, now's my moment. I'm gonna jump into Rooted in a couple weeks. I'm gonna jump in and serve on a team in a couple weeks. I, I, I'm ready to take the step now. Uh, you could also share that with somebody on front, up front, uh, but you can also go to our next steps area. It's the, it's the, it's the room in the very middle of our lobby and, and, and there's a whole team there that will guide you in whatever that next step is. There's actually a table that's labeled Rooted in the lobby. There's a whole team of people walk right alongside of you. Or if you got lunch reservations and you gotta get there soon, uh, you can actually do this all online as well. Just go to willowcreek.org slash groups or willowcreek.org slash serve and take these steps. Don't be somebody who just goes through life. Let the life of Jesus go through you. Uh, Father, we come and we say thanks. Thanks for the parable of the prodigal son and all that it teaches us and shares. God, would you activate in us not only the desire to take a step, but the courage to take a step. And God, as we engage our lives more with one another, as we engage our lives more in your mission, God, would you do as much in us as you do through us? We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.